Well, good morning again, and I want to thank you for allowing me to be your pastor. I mean, I could come here every Sunday and stand up here and speak and have nobody be in here, and that'd be fine, but it's so much better when I have people who are listening to me and listening to what God is telling me and what God is saying in His Word. So let's open our Bibles to Isaiah 65. We are on the last two Sundays of Isaiah. We've been into it, in it for almost a year and over a year and a half now, and we are down to the last two sermons. You know, we, we all dream, I think everybody in the world dreams of a society, of a world that is perfect. In our hearts, we, we desire a world that is full of peace, full of joy, where, where there's no pain, where there's no sorrow, where there's no crying, where there's no suffering, no poverty, no war, no death. What we desire is a return to Eden. And history is, is littered with, with all, many different attempts that have failed to create the utopian society. And I was thinking of a few of them this week as I was writing my sermon. I was thinking of, you know, there was Plato's Republic, which was back in about 380 B.C., but that was not even a, a something that was tried. It was a thought. It was an idea that was written down that was has always remained a philosophical idea that was never attempted. You have the Roman Empire that for many, many years, from about 27 B.C. to 476 A.D., that... that Try to unite the world in peace. We think of the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. The only reason why there was a peace of Rome because it was a rather a rather large Roman army. But see, even even Rome was not able to sustain itself long enough because of the eternal strife and the external threats that ultimately led to the fall of the Roman Empire. There was a, a an area called the Oneida Community. This was in Oneida, New York. This was back in the late 1800s. A uh, gentleman brought together all these people. They were living together, supposedly in perfect peace and harmony. But even then, that, were, that society ended up having internal conflicts. And there's a lot of criticism from outside the society that led to them being disbanded. Even in our own state of Indiana, there was a place called New Harmony, Indiana. I don't know if anybody ever knew, but there was a place called New Harmony. And it was a place where a lot of people got together and they wanted to live together in perfect harmony. Kind of interesting since it's called New Harmony. It was started by a man named Robert Owens, and this New Harmony actually, believe it or not, had internal conflicts and financial difficulties that actually led, led to its downfall. In 1871, there was a, in Paris, there was what's called the Paris Commune, where a radical socialist government was started. It briefly ruled for that one year, but external opposition and internal divisions ultimately led to its downfall. And then most of us know, that are old enough, know about the Soviet Union. It was supposed to be the perfect society. Founded after the Russian Revolution, but they really faced a lot of political oppression, economic problems, and the U.S. outspent them when it came to the Cold War and the arms race. In 1970s, it was the Khmer Rouge, which was in the Cambodia. It was led by a man named Pol Pot. who had, They tried to have a classless society. But they had brutal, very brutal policies, forced labor, and mass executions and purges that were very common. They, too, led, were led to a place where it disbanded and it dissolved. Now, each of these human attempts to create the perfect society all had a problem. They were all thought up by humans. <laughs> Man is broken they each had the same outcome. And why? Why would they have the same outcome? Why would they all lead to that same place? Why can't man create the perfect world? 
And we have to go all the way back to Genesis to get the answer to that. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, they set in motion our destiny in this world. In Genesis 3, 17 through 19, it says, and, Adam said, and to Adam he said, this is God speaking to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, gentlemen, that's not, a, that's not saying we shouldn't listen to our wives. What they're saying is you listen to her the wrong time. You, since you listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken for your dust, and to dust you shall return. Humanity and the earth that we live on is cursed. We are cursed. All our human labor is cursed. You wonder why it's so difficult at times to get things accomplished? Why, for example, yesterday, or Friday, got to clean my glasses again. Friday, we had a, a bunch of the kids over, and we were we were piling wood in my wood, new woodshed, and I had a, my log splitter out, and I was going to start my log splitter, which always starts, would not start. I tore the carburetor apart three times and still couldn't get it started. Why? Why won't it start? Because it's cursed. We're all cursed. Our labors are cursed. Now I know why. Probably got a spring that's bad, and I got to fix it. But why now? Why? Why do? We, why doesn't it work now? Why do I struggle here? Why do I struggle there? Why is life so difficult? It's because we have to struggle for survival, and many times that struggle is bitter. Many times our labor is in vain. I worked for hours on Friday, and I, I put it away, not running. In Ecclesiastes 1, 2 through 4 says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of the vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. We know that creation itself is groaning under the curse. It groans, waiting for the, for the revealing of the sons of God. And that's what Paul says in Romans 8.22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. It's been waiting for God's children to be revealed, for the church to come to life, and for Christ to come back, so that the curse can be taken away and taken off. You know, each of the attempts to create this utopian society in its history that we attempt to create going forward from now will fail because human society is corrupted at the very core. Our hearts are full of deceit and evil. In fact, Scripture says the heart is evil, it's deceitful. It will tell you things, everybody says, follow your heart, follow your heart. No, don't follow your heart because your heart will lie to you. It lies every time. Even the worldwide flood could not permanently eradicate evil. God saw the evil in the world, so he decides, I'm going to destroy the world, except for I'm going to save eight people and two of all animals, except for the clean animals. There's going to be more than those. And he's going to destroy everything else. He destroys everything, and guess what? We still have evil in the world. We need to eradicate evil from our hearts you know, one of the definitions of utopia is this imaginary and indefinitely remote place. Everybody wants utopia, but it's imaginary. It's remote. We're never going to see it by human hands. 
no matter how hard we try, no matter how many times we try to do it, we're never going to reach it by our own abilities and our own attempts. It's impossible for humans to create a utopia. But see, we must remember what Jesus himself said in Matthew 19, 26. He says, Jesus looks, he looks at his disciples and he says to them, with man this is impossible. And what he meant was it's impossible for man to enter heaven. But with God, all things are possible. So in this back half, we, last week we talked about the first half of Isaiah 65. Now we're talking about the back half. On the back half we're looking at today, God's going to unveil his plan for utopia. His perfect world that he's going to create. So let's turn to Isaiah 65, starting with verse 17. It says, For behold, this is God speaking through Isaiah, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. So what God is doing is God is declaring that he is going to fix this world. We look around it, especially today, we look around. Look what's going on in the Middle East right now. We look at the atrocities. We look at the, the responses. All of it is evil. People are dying. Innocent people are dying. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. Child sex trafficking is rampant in our world today. And it's not just in other countries. Do you know that one of the largest child sex, sex trafficking um, rings was in Nebraska? And you know who they supplied? Our officials in Washington. They would send plane loads of children to Washington for the sex trade. It's rampant in this world. The world is falling apart or falling together according to God's plan. But he's not just going to fix our world. He's going to create something holy and new because our, our world is hopelessly, haplessly messed up. He's going to create it new. It's going to be so radically different than the world that we know that we will not even remember the things of today. I had a lot of people ask me, boy, Pastor, when we get to heaven, you know, I, I, what about all those people that I know who don't know Christ, who aren't there? I'm like, you won't even think about them. I was like, well, that's kind of harsh. But understand, it's going to be so amazing to be in the presence of Christ that all these things, all these struggles, all these hurts, all these pains, all these sicknesses, all these wars, all this poverty, we won't even, it won't even come to mind. That's what it says right there in Isaiah 65. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. It's not that God wipes our mind that we don't even think about it. What he does is he makes it so amazing to be in his presence those things we don't even think about because we're so, we're so engrossed in what God is doing then. It, it, everything, all the bad things of this world are going to be show, so overshadowed by the new creation that we won't even think about what our lives are like right now. This is what the Apostle, Paul, Apostle John saw when he, was in, when he was taken into heaven. He saw, and we see it in the book of Revelation. Here's what it says in Revelation 21. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So John is saying that everything that God has created that is now is gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We have this promise of eternal joy and eternal rejoicing. See, we, we have a tendency in our world, I know I do it, to get distracted by the things that are going on around us. We, we hold on to things, I think sometimes I do, much too tightly. Whether it's my, my possessions, whether it's, it's my, my job, whether it's my family, whether it's my friends. We hold them tight. Our lives, and in that, our lives create anxiety as we face the struggles in this world. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't care for our things. I'm not saying we shouldn't take care of our possessions. I'm not saying that we shouldn't love our families. We should love our families with everything we have. We should love our friends with all that we have. But we've got to understand that we can't allow our, ourselves to be so distracted by the things of this world that we forget God and what God is going to do. We must have this correct perspective about the possessions that we have. They are blessings from God, no doubt. In the book of Luke, Jesus gave these wise words. He told us, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. We need to cherish what God has given us. We need to pray, thank God every day for the blessings that he has given to us. We also, but we also need to praise him for the day that's coming, for what he's going to create here for us again. Because Isaiah, in, in verse 18, God says, be, But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. Be glad. Rejoice in what God has given you, but also be glad and rejoice in what God is going to be given us. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. That's not today, folks. Look what's going on in the Middle East. One day it will be, though. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and I'll be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. The new heavens and the new earth will be a place of eternal joy. A place where we'll not just rejoice for a time and then return to our lives. Rejoicing will be part of everything we do. We'll rejoice forever. No more weeping, no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow. And again, John confirms that in, John, in, in Revelation 21.4. God himself will wipe away every tear. We can get an idea of this if we go back to Zephaniah. And I'm, I'm a big proponent of, if the Bible says it once, it, it matters. If it says it again in another scripture, it's even more important. If it says it a third time in a third scripture, it's extremely important. We need to listen to it. And this is what it says in Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst. Remember, God will be with us. We'll see him in person, face to face. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And why does this happen? Why do we find joy? Why are we rejoicing? Because God is in our midst. 
You know, we say this today, we say that God is here. We feel the presence of God when we're, in, in, when we're with other, other believers. But I want to tell you, the day is coming when we will see him face to face. We will physically see Christ. God will take delight in us because he is dwelling with us. And it will be forever. Verse 20 says, No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young men shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. Now wait a minute. Didn't we just say up here, if we go back up here a little bit, says, um, doesn't it say that there will be no more death? Doesn't it say, you know... Behold, the dwelling place with God, he will wipe away every tear, and death shall be no more when John is seeing heaven, seeing the new heavens and the new earth. I thought we were talking about new heavens and new earth here. Well, what about what it says in Revelation 22, verse 3? No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Or what about what Jesus said in Mark 12, 25? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. What is, what's going on here in Isaiah? Because we have Isaiah talking about the fact there's not going to be any more death. It's a new heaven, a new creation. And yet here, right after he talks about, well, if a man will live to be over 100 years old, and if a child, no children will die, and if a, if a person dies young, they're, it's a, they're a sinner. It, it doesn't make any sense. We have death and, and birth in Isaiah 65. And this is why many theologians believe that what has happened here, Isaiah has switched from talking about the new heavens and the new earth that come to the millennial kingdom. I want to spend some time talking about the millennial reign of Christ on earth. We can see the millennial kingdom in Revelation 20, verse 2 through 7. says, And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who was the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into a pit and shut it and, and sealed it over it so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast in its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. Now, Revelation at times can be confusing. I want to give you a, a brief synopsis of how this might all play out. Now, understand there's a lot of different discussions about what happens in what Revelation, the interpretation of Revelation. This is my interpretation based upon what I've learned, what I've studied. I'm not going to talk about the rapture. That's a whole other subject we can talk about sometime. But here's what I say think will happen and the order that will happen in. The Antichrist is going to come to power. I've had a lot of people ask me, well, Pastor, isn't this, isn't this the last battle? What's going on in Israel now? Is that the last battle? No. The Antichrist hasn't come to power yet. So what's going to happen first, we'll see the Antichrist come to power along with the false prophet. And what they're going to do is they're going to make a seven-year treaty with Israel. Now, could the current conflict lead to that? Possibly. I don't know. 
We're not to know the exact hour of the day or any of this is going to happen. We just have to watch for the signs. But no matter what happens, it doesn't change our prayer or our mission to share the gospel. We're still supposed to do it. We're not supposed to hide away in a bunker and wait for all this to work out. We are to be out there sharing our faith, living our lives as Christ would want us to live. About halfway through this seven-year treaty, the Antichrist will break that treaty. And this is when the Great Tribulation happens. Three and a half years of terrible, terrible things happening. This will be a time of great persecution, not only for the Christians, but also for the Jews. Along with the upheaval of nature. If you read in Revelation, you see the judgments that occur, and the earth is just completely destroyed by nature itself. Volcanoes, uh, meteors landing, all kinds of destruction happening. Water turning bitter. You name it, it happens. At the end of the seven years, Christ will appear. He appears on a right horse in the sky with the host of heaven behind him, also what are known as the sons of God, the Benai, the Benai Elohim, and they will fight and they will defeat the Antichrist and his army. The Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. They are the first ones to enter the lake of fire. You want to talk to me about what hell is right now? <laughs> we can have a discussion. I don't have time in this sermon today to go through that, but understand what we usually think of as hell as being the lake of fire. That is not where people are now who are dead apart from Christ. They're at a different place. They will end up there ultimately. But right now, the lake of fire is empty. The first ones to get thrown into it are the Antichrist and the false prophet. That comes from Revelation 19, verses 11 to 21. At that time, Satan will be captured. He's put in chains and he's put in the bottomless pit where he will remain for a thousand years while Christ reigns on earth. That's Revelation 20, 1 through 3. Now, um, some people argue that the thousand years are not just a thousand years. It could be and a thousand is just a number. It, it doesn't have to be exactly a thousand years. A lot of times in Scripture, a number is used as a symbol. It's going to be a while. A thousand years is a long time. Needless to say, Christ will reign on the earth physically at that time. At the end of his reign, Satan's going to be let loose again. Now you wonder, why was he let loose? They, they have him. They have him in chains. He's not tempting anymore. Why? Because there will be those, I believe, who were born during the tribulation, who make it through, and are believers. And there will also be those who were born during the the reign of Christ. Because remember it says up here in Isaiah that an, a man will live to be over 100 and a baby won't, the babies won't die. So there's going to be birth during the millennial kingdom. So Satan will be let loose to actually tempt those people who, have, who were not born before the return of Christ. Or actually born before the tribulation. Some of those who, those who die during the thousand-year reign of Christ will be resurrected and face the great white throne judgment. Then a new heaven and a new earth will descend. And that's what we think of the streets of gold, the pearly gates. That's the new heaven and the new earth. But Christ will reign for a thousand years here on earth. Scripture says that. That is what the millennium, so that is what the millennial kingdom is. But what will it be like? 
What will this thousand year reign be like? And we see this in verse 21 through 25 of Isaiah 65. It says, They shall build houses. They shall inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. So you wonder what we're going to be doing this time? We're going to be living our lives. They shall not build and another inhabit. So you'll build a house, you'll live in it. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain. Because remember at the, at the curse, our labor was put in vain. Our labor was cursed. At this point in time, it's not. Or they will not bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. Now, as we look at this, there's a couple things. The curse is either gone or it's greatly diminished. The earth is going to be blessed. There's going to be a rich harvest. I, I'm a gardener. I love it. I, you know, I, I plant and I, things grow. Amazing this year. I, I planted, I planted some things and they didn't grow at all. My cucumbers did terrible, but my peppers did great, especially the hot peppers that I don't like to eat. My tomatoes did good. My carrots, not so bad. My my pole, my my gita beans, which are you know about a three foot long beans. That's how big the beans, actual bean pods are. Those did great. My basil was good, but there was a lot of stuff just didn't do well. That won't happen anymore. Everything we plant will grow. When I get a package of seeds, it says, you know, 30%, 40%, 50% germination guaranteed. Because some of the seeds don't work. But there it will. Everything will be perfect. Children will not be born to calamity. Children will not be born and die. Life will be amazing. Why? Because Christ will be reigning. He will be with us. The earth is going to be blessed. Our lives will be unusually long. Look, It compares our lives to a tree. How long do trees live? Well... You know, the oldest redwoods in California are 2,500 years old. And there's actually a bristlecone pine that's over 5,000 years old. I look at some of the trees. It was really sad a few years ago in Fort Wayne when all the, when all the, the storm came through and tore down these huge trees. You know they've been there for hundreds of years. We see very similar language in the book of Psalm. In Psalm 92, it says, the righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. You know, we have trees that after a while, they no longer fruit. Why? Because they're old. I won't be that way anymore. Guess what? We get old and we struggle to bear fruit, but that won't be the way it is anymore. They are ever full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. 
whatever we do is going to be successful. We struggle with that today. We do things and they're unsuccessful. We do things well and they're unsuccessful. We're no longer going to be frustrated by our sinfulness or the curse that creation is living under today and that we're living under today. I'll go to start my, my I'll go to start my splitter. It'll run. Amazing. Weeds. No more weeds. I hate weeds. I hate pulling weeds. They'll be gone. No more. No more toil that's in vain. We're going to experience amazing intimacy with God. See what it says there. It says that he will come to us before we even call him. Mothers have intuition. They know when their children need them. Sometimes, you know, they'll go, my, my wife will go looking for the kids, usually because we don't hear them. And we know if we don't hear them, then we're in trouble. But God knows. He'll know what we need, and he'll come before we even ask for it. He'll answer us immediately. You know, we struggle today with our intimacy with God. People say, where is God? I don't, I don't sense God at all. Well, whose fault is that? Is it yours or is it his? I think it's ours. It's not because of God. Because of the sin nature and the sin that I have within me, I have a tendency to push God away. When in reality, I should be drawing him closer to me. But see, in the millennial kingdom, that stronghold will be gone. It'll be removed. I, have, I can't imagine what it's going to be like not to have to deal with temptation. I deal with it every day, and not to have that, it's just going to be amazing. And he will answer us before we even call out to him. Nature itself will be at peace with mankind. I, I love it. My, my kid, Caleb, Caleb is a bird man. Abigail was joking yesterday. She says, we're going to read a news report of a man falling off a cliff because he was looking at a bird, and that'll be Caleb. He'll go looking for a bird, and he'll hurt himself looking for a bird like a bird. But I, I can't imagine the day when he will be able to stand there and the birds will come to him and land on his, on his hand. We have chickens, and he had a chicken on his shoulder the other day, and I thought, that's, that's what he loves. But animals will, will, will no longer fear us. I mean, this, we have no idea, and we can barely fathom how amazing the millennial kingdom of Christ is going to be. The animals will live in peace with each other. You see, God put the fear of man in animals. When Adam was in the garden, he named them so there was no fear. But when, after, when, when, God, when God decided he was going to destroy the earth, he called the animals to Noah so that they could go into the ark. And I, I tell you, if you ever get an opportunity to go down to see the ark encounter, please do. It's amazing to see how they, how they believe it's possible they could have, it could have been done. But it's, all those animals came. And then afterwards, Scripture says that God put the fear of man in the animals. I'm longing for that day when I'll be able to walk up to a lion and pet its mane. It's just, we can't even imagine what it's going to be like. There'll be this idyllic relationship in the animal kingdom. No more predator-prey relationships. And guess what? In our lives, there'll be no more predator-prey relationships. There'll be no more arguments, no more fighting, no more sorrow, no more pain. We'll love each other the way we should. But we can do that today if we choose to. But man is broken. 
Isaiah 65, 17-25 reminds us of this incredible promise of God. In the middle of our trials and tribulations, we've got to hold fast to the promises and the hopes that God is going to bring us with the new creation. Where joy, rejoicing, everlasting peace are going to be abounding. Where we'll experience the utopia that man has been longing for. We long for it. The return to Eden as it was meant to be. I hope these words strengthen our faith. We need to think about these things. It needs to, this is what needs to sustain us through the difficult times. Yes, Lord, it is difficult now, but Lord, I know there's a greater time coming. A time coming where there will be perfect peace. And you'll be with us and we'll be able to talk to you and you'll know what we need before we even ask for it. And we'll be in peace with each other and with nature. No more toil, no more trials. Everything we do will work. Because we'll be doing everything God wants us to do. We have a glorious future that's await, that awaits us. It's glorious. But for those who are apart from Christ, who have sinned and fallen short of his glory, not so much. God sent Jesus Christ to save sinners like us. So call on the name of the Lord. Trust in him. Look to him. Repent of all your sins. Be forgiven. And then you too will have the beautiful promises given to you from Isaiah 65. Let's pray.